0: Welcome to Mount Olive First Pentecostal Holiness Church. Thank you for connecting with us. Our desire at PHC is for you and your family to find hope in Jesus Christ so that he will transform your life. Thanks again for connecting with us. Please contact us if we can help you discover God's purpose for your life. Enjoy the message. Thank you so much for coming tonight. It's an honor to absolutely be with you guys, and to, to worship with you, to share the word with you, to experience revival together, and uh, thank you, thank you. I have friends who are here tonight who used to worship with me, and they told me one day, they said, I don't know if you noticed, we've been out of church, and I said, I noticed I didn't see you, and, and they said, we live close to Mount Olive, we've been going to church there, and I said, that, that's okay, that's good, and they said, now we don't want you to be upset with us, and I said, I'm not upset, I'm jealous. I said, I want to go too. Didn't I tell you that Al? I want to go too. My crowd won't let me go. You know, I, I love this church. I love you. I love your pastor. He is a dear friend to me. When, when I have a tough day, he lets me come to Mount Olive and, and we drown our sorrows in food. And... Um, and he he's a great friend to me. My traveling buddy is here tonight, Matt Sessions. Matt, raise your hand. And so he and I serve on the Denominations Evangelism Board together. He is the layman for this entire denomination. And we live, yeah, I, I praise God for him. I don't know how we ended up. We met at a board meeting in Oklahoma City, and we live eight miles apart. It's the strangest thing you've ever seen in the world but now we fly together we travel together we slept in a, we slept in an airport together one night we got snowed in and uh, and stayed in Washington DC on the floor uh, so he's a great friend it's an honor to be with you thank you thank you Hebrews chapter 11 just turn there in your bible if you will i want to talk to you for a little while about the way things are is not the way things have to be Anybody ever have some things in your life and you just, you just sort of settle into this reality, well, this is just the way things are? Anybody? Anybody? You just, you just kind of say, you know, this is just how it's going to be and we just sort of accept that reality. I want to say to you tonight, I want us to develop a faith that says that the way things are is not the way things have to be. Look at your neighbor and say to him, the way things are, say it to him is not the way things have to be. By God's power, it can change. By God's power. Do you believe that tonight? Do you believe that our God is a miracle-working God? We just sang about it. But is it more than just lyrics? Is it a reality in your life? Do you believe that tonight? I want to start a sentence, and I want you to finish it. December the 7th, 1941. A date which will... You know those iconic words, don't you? a president to a shaken nation after, as he said, our country was deliberately attacked by the empire of Japan. But on the evening of December the 7th, the president's got a problem when he goes to bed that night. He knows that the next day he's got to go to the Congress and he's got to ask for a formal declaration of war with Japan. But he's got a problem. He's only got an army that has 174,000 soldiers and one combat-ready division. The Germans have 313 divisions. The Japanese have 160 combat-ready divisions. But the way things were, were not the way things had to be. You and I know that over the next four years, over 8.5 million Americans would join the army. Another 4 million would join the Navy. 700,000 would join the Marine Corps. And we would drive Germany out of Europe. And we would get the surrender of the Japanese Army. Because a man said that the way things are is not the way things have to be. But when the sun came up on the morning of the 8th of December, the President's got another problem. It's a cold, gray day in Washington. Sort of fitting for the mood of the country. Arizona is still burning in the harbor in in Honolulu. He tells his son James when he gets up that morning that he does not want to be wheeled into the Capitol in his wheelchair. He doesn't want the Germans and the Japanese and the world to see him as a weak, vulnerable leader. The wheelchair that he's been confined to for over 25 years when he was stricken with polio in the middle of his life. He tells his son James. He intends to have these specially made braces. Attached to his legs. That allow him to stand. For a photo opportunities sometimes. That he intends to have those braces. Put on his legs. And he's going to use his son's arm. As a parallel bar. And he's going to walk into the Capitol Amen. And ask for a declaration of war. The doors in the back of the Capitol Opened at at 1229. And the president took those 211 steps all the way to the front of the... And he spoke for six and a half minutes. The Congress debated for 20 minutes. And except for one lady who also voted against World War I. Isn't it amazing how time just doesn't change for some people? I mean, how some people just don't get it? They unanimously approved a declaration of war. And that man walked out of that same Capitol building because he said the way things are is not the way things have to be. Maybe you're here tonight and you've just got some things in your life. Anybody got some things in your life? And I just want you to know that the way things are is not the way things have to be. There's a power in heaven that can change that. And we believe that. We used to believe that. Then we used to just sort of say, well, God will change that. And somehow through time, the things that we used to say, my God will change that, we've just said, well, that's just the way it is. In fact, we talk about these last days and, and we'll actually spiritualize it and we'll talk about a great falling away and we'll quote Paul as if we can't do anything about it and we'll just say, well, this is just the way it is in the last days. See, I don't believe that the way things are is the way things have to be. I don't think the way things are in your life is the way things have to be. Hebrews 11 is filled with stories of people who by faith said, The way things are is not the way things have to be. When did we learn this passive faith that we've adopted? When are we taught this, this sort of sit on the sidelines and sit on the couch and and sit on our pew and just say, well, this is just the way that it is. Recruiting is low and morale is low and, and attendance is low and finances are low. And we just sit back and we just casually, passively say, well, that's just the way it is. Maybe the way things are is not the way God wants it. And you and I have to embrace a powerful God who wants things to change. We can't just accept things the way they are. And we're talking to some people tonight that are saying, I'm tired of things the way they are. Anybody, anybody tired of things being the way they are? Anybody just got some things in your life? How many of you got some things you're tired of in your life? I read a great story. I'm reading Rosa Parks' biography now. If you haven't read Rosa Parks' biography, you got to read Rosa Parks' biography. Rosa Parks said, and this reporter asked her one day, why wouldn't she stand up in the back of that bus? And she said, I got tired. And he said, was it because you were old? And Rosa Parks said, I wasn't old, I was young then. Was it because you'd worked all day? She said, I'd only been at at work for eight hours. It isn't that long. It wasn't because I had not slept the night before. He said, well, what were you tired of? She said, I was tired of giving in. I just think that we need to be a church that's tired of giving in. I think we've become a church that's given up. Because we've said the way things are is the way things have to be. This is just the way it is. I want you and I to embrace a God that says the way things are is not the way things have to be. Jesus told his disciples, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And notice what he said, and the violent take it by what? By force. They they act, they move, they choose, they, they they choose to not accept things the way they are. I like the way one translator gives it to us, Eugene Peterson. He says, the kingdom of heaven is marching forward. The kingdom of heaven is marching forward. The kingdom of heaven is pressing itself into this present darkness. And throughout history, you've seen that. You've seen the church of Jesus Christ push itself into the darkness. You've seen it invade politics. And you've seen it invade poverty. You've seen it invade economics. You've seen it invade morality. And throughout history, the kingdom of heaven has made this massive approach into this sin-darkened world, and it has changed it. It said the way things are is not the way things have to be. See, I think that we can't sit around any longer. And just wait for God to move. I listen to people say this sometimes. I listen to preachers say it sometimes. I ask pastors. We go to lunch and we talk. And and I say, how are things going? And what are you doing? Well, I'm just waiting for God to move. Maybe God's waiting on us to move. I tell them what I won't tell you. And they're not here so I can tell you what I tell them. God's not waiting on. You're not waiting on God. God's waiting on you. See, when he puts you in a position of leadership, when he puts you in a position of influence, that's when God moved. Now he's waiting on you to take the next move. We just kind of passively sit around and wait for God to move because we've accepted things the way they are. Paul said it this way. This is a great verse in Ephesians. He said, the same power, say the same power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. It lives in us. Well, if that power lives inside of us, why are we accepting things the way they are? If that same power lives inside of us, why do we just go, well, this is just the way that it is? Why don't we, like Rosa Parks, say, I'm tired of things being the way they are? In Deuteronomy, it's a verse that's repeated for us in the Psalms. Moses gives it to us first, and then David does in Psalms. He says, the Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of His bounty, and send rain on your land in season, and to bless all. Say all. All. Bless all the work of your hands. Isn't that a great promise? God's saying, if you'll just move, I'm going to bless you. If you'll just act, I'm going to join it. You get up and I'll get involved. Why are we so passive about our faith? Why don't we believe the promises of what God has told us in His Word? God's going to bless the work of our hands, not the hope of our hearts. Like stop hoping for God to move and get up and move and follow God because God's always moving. I like what Spurgeon says. Spurgeon says, if you're going to follow God, you're going to move quickly because he has a swift pace. Amen. Did you ever notice that when Jesus was calling disciples, he didn't call any lazy people? He always called somebody who was busy. He called somebody who was in the middle of working. He called people who believed that things were going to change in their life. And you and I got to do the same. We got to respond. But when you and I respond, we respond to a God who knows us and cares about us. Who cares about our life. I love the story in Chronicles. The Chronicle writer Ezra tells us about this day when Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, surrounded King Hezekiah. And old Hezekiah's people and even King Hezekiah, he was all upset. And he came to the prophet, and the prophet said, you know, what are we going to do? Because his army is around, this vast, innumerable army that is more powerful, and they're ruthless and horrible, cruel people, and what are we going to do? And the Lord told the prophet, tell Hezekiah, don't be afraid. There's some of you here tonight, you got some stuff going on in your life, and you just need to say, I'm not going to be afraid. Like The enemy is terrorizing you and the fear runs deep inside of you. You need to say to the enemy, I'm not going to live in fear any longer in my life. And don't be discouraged. You don't have to give up. You don't have to quit. There is hope for you and there is help for you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged because the king of Assyria and the vast army with him, for there is a greater power with us. Do you believe that tonight? There is a greater power with us. Well, if there's a greater power with us, why do we accept things the way they are? Why do we settle for less? Look at what he said. There is a greater power with us than with them. For with them is just the arm of flesh. But with us, say with us, is the Lord our God. The Lord our God to help us fight our battles. Anybody got some battles in your life? Anybody going through a battle in your life? I want you to know the one that's with you is greater than the one that's against you. And His power is here to help you fight that battle in your life. Isn't that great news tonight? I just think sometimes we settle for less than what God has for us. You know what settling is, don't you? That's what attorneys call when you don't want to go through the battle in court. That's what attorneys say let's do when you don't want to be inconvenienced, when you don't want to have to go testify, when you don't want to spend the money, when you don't want to go through the struggle, you just settle. I had a friend that was hurt at work. He was going through that thing and he was, he was maliciously hurt at work and he had to go to the attorney. He goes to the attorney. They sit and they talk and they, they negotiate and the attorney finally said to him, why don't you want to go to court? He said, I'm going to miss a lot of time at work. I'm going to miss being with my family. I have to gather all this stuff. Why don't I just saddle for less? I just think as the kingdom of God. as God's people. These people with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, those people, us people, we've settled. We've settled. Because we don't want to be inconvenienced. You know, we, we like truth as long as it's convenient truth. And we like commitment as long as it comes in convenient times and inconvenient ways. But we don't want to be inconvenienced. We don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want to pay the price. Listen, we're talking about revival right now and somebody's got to pay the price. And that price is in our life. And so, so in Hebrews chapter 11, all that just kind of get to where we are in Hebrews chapter 11. Here's what the Hebrew writer's doing you know the chapter, he talks in the beginning about all these heroes of the faith, these these iconic people all through the years who he holds up as examples for us and says you can move on, you can continue you can have courage, you don't have to quit and he gives us their example and he goes through and he talks about people like Abel, he he talks about people like Abraham who in his old age God gave him a child and he talks about people like Moses who the Bible says that, that he chose to suffer with the children of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season he talks about people like Joseph and he said Joseph could see the time when the, the children of Israel would leave Egypt return to the promised land he goes through all these stories and then he gets to verse 32 and he sounds like a preacher who's running out of time in his sermon and here's what it says and what is more I don't have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith, look at this, there's little phrases here. This is what I want to kind of talk to you about for just a few moments. Who through faith conquered kingdoms. Who through faith administered justice. Who through faith received what had been promised. I just think in these last days, Maybe for just this year. Let's just talk about this period of time. These, these next ten months for you as a church. If God calls us to these three things. And says you and I can be part of tearing down kingdoms. That we don't have to just accept things the way they are. That you and I can be a part of administering justice. That we don't have to just passively accept things the way they are. That you and I can really be part of experiencing miraculous workings of God and receiving what was promised because we didn't receive or we didn't just accept things the way they are. Three things really quickly. Will you help me tonight? Will you do that? Number one, when he uses that little phrase, conquered kingdoms, will you say the word deliverance? Like when he mentions these Leaders And these are all people from the judges, except David that he mentions. David, who, by the way, never lost a battle. Did you hear me? He never lost a battle. Because every time he went to battle, God went with him. And he emerged victorious. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, on Inauguration Day, the best day of David's life. Isn't it amazing? On the best of days, the enemy will come looking you. And the enemy came looking, David, in 2 Samuel 5 on Inauguration Day. The Philistines, this group of people that he had defeated 20 years earlier, conquered their champion, Goliath, cut off his head. But 20 years later, that old enemy came back. Anybody ever had an old enemy come back? Anybody ever had an old struggle? That old enemy, it comes calling on Inauguration Day of all days. David's got the party, he's got the bands, he's got the confetti, he's got the float, he's got everything, the music, everything's ready, and here come the Philistines, and he can't get sworn in because he's got to go to battle. And God gives him victory. You know the story, don't you, God? He asked God, he inquired, Lord, should I go up? And the Lord said, go up and what? I'll go with you. Isn't that a great promise? You go and I'll go with you. You see, you don't have to wait on God. God says, you go and I'm going to go with you. And he gave him victory. And then the the enemy kind of reassembled and attacked him again from behind. Like he has these recurring struggles. These recurring battles in his life. Maybe you're here tonight and you have these recurring battles. You have these recurring struggles. And then he asked the Lord again. And this is a great moment. He just kind of assume, here's what God wants me to do. He asked the Lord again, Lord, shall I go up as I did before and attack them and defeat them? And he says, no, 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 you wait for me. And he said, when you hear what sounds like soldiers marching in the tops of the trees. Isn't that a great thing? Like, I just, I wrote in the margin of my Bible the first time I read that, God works in places I can't get to. And God works in places I can't see. And God works in ways I can't understand. And he he shakes the trees, you know. How many of you need God to shake the trees? you need God to shake something in your life, don't you? God, shake my wife or shake my boss or shake my children. But God, shakes something because something in your life is creating bondage for you. That's what he's talking about. And David and Gideon and Barak and Jephthah and Samson, all of them conquered kingdoms. Why? Because they said the way things are is not the way things have to be. Maybe you've been accepting something that needs to change in your life. See, God used these deliverers all through the book of Judges. See, I kind of picture them like gunslingers, like in the Old West. Now, I like Westerns. Anybody else like Westerns? Like, I, I like Westerns. See, see, the world's problems were solved the way they should have been solved. I mean, you had a problem with somebody, you didn't get on Facebook and talk about it. Man, we'd go out in the street and we'd draw, baby. Now, I'll... If I did that at my place, I'd be getting emails before I got home. <laughs> my board member, Mr. Jackie Waddell, one of my best friends, he's here tonight. Uh, he's the only one that will know. He won't tell anybody. <laughs> but that's just the way I picture him, you know. There is these, these people who brought justice with them, and they conquered the bad guys. I think God's calling us to tear down some of these kingdoms. Because our world, our world isn't just wrapped in darkness. Anybody agree? Our world's wrapped in bondage. Like it's a bondage. It's a bondage to drugs. It's a bondage to alcohol. It's a bondage to pornography. It's a bondage to gambling. It's a bondage to selfishness and idolatry. I mean, we worship idols made of wood and stone and metal in cars and bricks and buildings. This is who we are, and we're in bondage to that stuff. And God is calling us in these last days where people are in bondage to tear those bondages down. And I'm just saying to you that though our world is in bondage, the way things are is not the way things have to be. A couple of Christmases ago, we were decorating for Christmas. Now, Mama Lynn, uh, she's got a lot of friends that used to work with her in this church that are on your staff, and uh, they, they know she loves Christmas, and she loves Christmas lights. Like at Christmas, we, we kind of decorate the tree, and we have to go get box after box after box of lights to put on the tree, like thousands of lights on the Christmas tree. And when we get done, we sit in the den with shades on and watch television because it is bright, baby, because she loves light couple of Christmases ago, and I mean, she has so many many lights, it's like all down the tree is these series of green power strips that I kind of strapped onto it, and I plug them all in, and plug them all in, plug them all in, keep working my way down, plug them all in, got them all plugged in one day, she said, turn it on and let me look at it, and I hit the power strip button, you know what I'm talking about, and nothing happened. She said, what in the world? After all that plugging and all that work, and I said, I don't know. Let me look, and I got to looking, and all the little light strings and the little light strings, and then I plugged this power strip, start another light string, keep the little daisy chain going, got all the way to the end. In my haste, I had plugged the power strip into itself. the dumbest human being that God ever stretched a patch of skin over. I mean, you couldn't believe it. I was so embarrassed, I wouldn't even tell her. She said, what was it? I said, I don't know. It wouldn't work. I didn't want her to know she married an idiot. Probably already knows. Let me tell you the truth tonight. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. I'm going to tell you what I fear about me. I want to tell you what I fear about my people. I want to tell you what I fear about the modern church. I think we've plugged ourselves into ourselves and we're trying to light a dark world. And it's not going to work. It's not going to work. We got to get plugged into the right power. We got to get plugged into the right source. That's why I love what we're doing here tonight because we're spending some time. We're going to come in, we're going to pray. We're going to plug ourselves into some power. We're going to plug ourselves into the power of heaven because if things are not going to be the way they are, we're going to need some power. We're going to tear down kingdoms. We're going to need some power. If we're going to have bright lights in this dark world, we're going to need some power. That's why Paul tells us this, and I love his writings. He said, he has rescued us. Anybody ever been rescued? Anybody feel like God just, he didn't just save you, he rescued you. And here's what he says. He has rescued us from the dominion. There's that word again that the Hebrew writer uses. They were tearing down kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness. And he has brought us in to the kingdom of his dear son. Like he didn't more than just save you. It's, it's a deliverance. It's a deliverance. Like you and I need to be part Of a delivering power. That's why Paul tells in Corinthians. And I'll hustle along. I realize it's getting a little late here. He said. For though we live in the flesh. We don't wage war. According to the flesh. But the weapons of our warfare. Are not weapons of this world. Instead they have divine power. Say "Divine divine power. That's the power we and I need. Divine power. I want you to pray. God fill us with divine power. God don't fill me with human power. Don't fill me with human ability. Fill me with a divine power that what? What's the word? Demolishes strongholds. Like we live in a world of strongholds. And and some of us have sort of said, well, that's just the way it is these days. People are hooked on drugs. People are hooked to alcohol. People are uh, confined in bondage to all kinds of addictions in their life. And we just say, well, this is just the way it is. God gave us divine power to demolish strongholds. Look at tonight. maybe you're here and you ain't got one of those strongholds. You're in bondage to something in your life. Like it has its hooks inside of you and you can't get free. You want freedom. And maybe tonight you're like Rosa Parks and you'll just say, I'm tired of giving in. I'm tired of giving in. There's divine power to set you free. We want to pray with you tonight. We want to agree with you. We want you to experience that divine power in your life. Number two, let me hustle along. So we live in a world of bondage. Now here's what I know. That every time there's a world of bondage, that bondage creates a brokenness. Have you noticed this? Like the poverty that's in our world, it came from the brokenness of sin. Like the racism that's in our world, it came from the brokenness of sin. The injustice in our world, it comes from the brokenness of sin. You watch television like I do, and I watch news commentators sometimes, and they'll ask questions. I was watching Chris Matthews, and glory to God, he's off television. <laughs> I'll I'm tell I'm telling you the truth. I, I knew the day would come when God would judge that man. One night I was watching him, and he said, what's wrong with God that he would allow this to happen in his world? And I screamed at the television. Anybody ever scream at the television? I scream at the television. I quit watching the news about five years ago because I was screaming at the television. I screamed at the television that night. The problem isn't with God, the problem's with people. There's something wrong inside of people. And the thing is, we broke. Sin broke us, and it has created violence. It has created atrocities. I mean, when you look at what, what's wrong with people in God, what's wrong with people is what's inside of people, and it's sin. And that brokenness needs a healing. And that's what he was talking about in the Hebrew writer. Now, you know the story. You're, you're good Bible students. You know that. He's talking about in the book of Judges, the Midianites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Termites. You know, all these ites. They were a hill people, you know. And the bites. they were a cold people. It's all in the Bible. You, have, you can read it when you get home. You, you, Hebrews 11. You just kind of look between the lines there. So It's all right there. Every one of these groups of people, they would come, the Midianites would oppress Gideon. The Hittites, they'd come and they'd oppress Jephthah. They brought them into bondage. They, they, they robbed from them. They stole from them. They had no morale. They stole their crops. They stole their hope. They stole their future. They stole their children. As so many people I know, that they're living in bondage and they're living in brokenness with an enemy that steals from them and we've sat back too long and just said, well, this is just the way that it is. And the way it is is not the way it has to be. So I think God's calling us as a church to not just help people experience deliverance but I think God's calling us to help heal some of the brokenness in our world with compassion say compassion with compassion to hear the broken cries of our world And to walk into the brokenness of racism and walk into the brokenness of poverty, to walk into the brokenness of illiteracy, to walk into the brokenness of separation and breakdowns in families and offer hope and offer healing. This is who God is. Like God is a God of compassion. Like over and over again, we're told that His overarching quality is that He loves and He's full of compassion. In fact, He says His mercy is new every day. And so you and I are called to be the heart and the hands and the feet of Jesus. That's why I love what y'all do in the schools with children. I love what you do in Valentine's Day. And in February when you go out and you love people, you find the overlooked, you find the broken, you find the hurting, and you become a place of hope for them in our world. God's calling some of you. My buddy Crystal Grant's here tonight. I won't embarrass her. But every, every Wednesday night, I guess every Sunday night, Every Sunday morning, she brings a group of kids to her church here. I don't know if y'all heard of Crystal Grant or not. Do y'all know Crystal Grant? Yeah. Will you give God praise for Crystal Grant? She just saw one. You know this story, don't you? Then she saw two. Then she saw three. Then she saw four. And she'd bring them. You know what she was doing? She was administering justice. She was righting some of the wrongs. She was caring for people. Here's what what James tells us. These are great words. Read them with me. Pure religion before God and the Father is this, to read and pray hours every day. That's, That's not what it is? Okay, it's a different translation then. Pure religion before God and the Father is this, that you give away everything you have to people who don't have anything. No, not what it is. Pure religion before God is that you live flawlessly and never make a mistake. It's not what he says, right? It's what? To what? Look after. The King James Version uses a great word, care for. Care for widows and orphans. Widows and orphans. I, I just want to tell you what we're doing. A few years ago, we had an opportunity where the people that have these MAP classes, which are basically like classes that are offered for foster parents and prospective adoptive parents. And we said um, they, they had lost their location. They said, well, come over and just have it at our place one night. We loved it. And I, I said, hey, you want to come back? They said, we'd like to come back. They came back. Last year, two years ago, they came back and they brought another county with them. Then this year they said, can we bring five counties this time? Twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, a hundred parents are coming this year that are prospective foster and adoptive parents. There's a foster crisis in America. I don't know if you've heard about it. It's a foster crisis in America. More children, and this is going to be a growing epidemic in our world. And I think the church is the solution to that. I think James was looking through time. He's writing in 63 A.D. Not quite 2,000 years ago. But he sees. He sees you and I. And he says, you can be the heart and the feet and the hands of Jesus. And you can administer justice. You can right some of the wrongs that's in our world. Number three, let's get to this one. And Kevin will come and that will make me stop. How's that? All right, here we go. So we said, number one, that we needed deliverance. Say deliverance. Yes. And, we, and that we live in a world where it needs to feel the heart and the compassion of Jesus. And so we needed compassion. We needed to administer justice. Find a place where you can hurt, heal the hurting and find a place where you can offer hope and administer justice with compassion. Make a difference in your life. Write this verse down. You're taking notes. Jude verse 24. Here's what Jude said. Jude said, and some, having compassion, made a difference. Like, you don't have to be wealthy to make a difference. You don't have to be powerful to make a difference. You don't have to have a title to make a difference. You don't have to own a a big business to make a difference. All you got to have is compassion. Compassion to make a difference. Number three, here we go, really quickly. And he says this, and they received what was promised. Now, now this is the interesting part about it, because I think he's talking about miracles. Say miracles. When he says, receive what is promised, and don't show us the verse, and then we'll be done. Kevin, I actually did want the, the music. Yeah, yeah, I actually, yeah, I joke so much, people don't even know when to take me serious. Somebody told me one day in church, they said, you know, you play so much, I don't know when you're serious and when you're not. And I said, well, to tell you the truth, I don't know sometimes either. But notice what he says, and they gained what was promised, and then he puts that little colon there. You see that little colon there? Now, now I don't know what any of that stuff means. When I write for my wife, I write it in paragraphs, and then I'll put her about one line worth of periods and commas and exclamation marks, question marks, colons, semicolons, and she'll say, what's this for? I said, I don't know where any of that stuff goes. You put it where it needs to go. (laughs) I don't know what any of that stuff means, but I do know that that means he's going to make a list. He's going to make a list. And here's what he says. Who shut the mouths of lions. Now everybody that was reading that knew he was talking about who? Daniel. Who said the way things are aren't the way things have to be. And then he said this. And they quenched the fury of the flames. Now everybody knew who he was talking about, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who said What? To King Nebuchadnezzar, you're a big dude. you got your 75-foot statue and your big old furnace. But the way things are is not the way things have to be. And then he said this, and escape the edge of the sword. He was talking about those deliverers all through the book of Judges. They said the way things are is not the way things have to be. Whose weakness was turned to strength Who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies and women received back their dead again. I think he's talking about that widow at Zarephath who had that miracle. Yeah, I used to read that story wrong. Maybe, i just dropped this in my heart. Maybe it's for you tonight. I used to read that story wrong in First Kings chapter 17. I used to think that God sent Elijah down there for that widow to feed him. I used to, I got to be honest with you, it it confused me. I was like, of all people to send the prophet to when he's hungry and thirsty, a widow. I mean, that's not where I would have sent her, right? I used to think that God sent him there for that widow to feed her until I read the story really good and I saw that Elijah said to her what are you doing she said I got a little bit of flour and I got a little bit of oil and I'm going to make me a cake and me and my son are going to eat it and that'll, that'll be it and we're going to die and all Elijah just does the most insensitive thing you can imagine right how many of you know the story yeah he just says make me one first well, wasn't she just praising God that He stopped by? I'm about to die, and my child's about to die, but can you make me one first? If the church lady had been on television then from Saturday Night Live, she said, "Well, ain't that special, right? I mean, you it's insensitive, isn't it? But what did she say?" I'll do whatever you ask. And she made him that cake. And then it tells us in the very next verse that from that moment on, for the rest of her life, say the rest of her life, the flour never gave out and the cruse of oil was never empty. See, God didn't send Elijah there for her to feed him. God sent Elijah there for him to feed her. And God knows how to feed you. And the way things are in your life is not the way things have to be. Will you stand together? I, I want us to come pray. This is what I want us to come pray about. How many of you tonight would just be honest and say, I need a miracle. I need a miracle in my life. I need a miracle. They're going to play in just a minute. I want you to come and say, God, I believe that the way things are is not the way things have to be. And you want to work in miracle-working power in my life tonight. And you've got to believe that. You've got to believe that. Anybody here? That you want to make a difference with your life. Somebody just raise your hand and say, I want to make a difference. I want, I want the kind of compassion God give me eyes to see so that I can have compassion and make a difference in my world. Because I don't believe that the way things are are the way things have to be. Anybody here want to experience some of that delivering power? That delivering power. I read the other day one of the saddest statements in the whole Bible reading through the New Testament reading through Mark and I read it Peter and James and John had been on the Mount of Transfiguration and they saw Jesus they saw his glory they saw his divinity they saw his power and Peter you know he just loved it he said let's just stay here I'm with Peter on the mountaintop they come down the Bible says there was a big crowd assembled in a group in Mark chapter 9 and they were arguing the disciples were arguing Jesus said He walked up to him and he said, what's going on? And this father, this desperate father comes to Jesus. He said, sir, I brought my son to your disciples because he's got a demon. And he said they couldn't cast him out. And I got to tell you, it broke my heart. It broke my heart. I said, Lord, how many desperate parents bring their children to us and, and we didn't cast him out? We didn't bring healing. They didn't experience a deliverance. I mean, that boy is suffering because of the faithlessness of those disciples. That father is suffering because of the faithlessness of those disciples. I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't cast him out. Jesus looked at his disciples. He said, how long will I be with you and you be so faithless? You don't believe. See, they thought that the way things were were the way things had to be. And then Jesus cast the demon out of the boy. You know the story. father tells this desperate thing. He sometimes throws himself in the fire. He sometimes jumps into war. He tries to burn himself to death. tries to drown himself. He's suffering. Jesus casts that demon out of that boy. And then Mark, who's kind of giving us Peter's recollection, when they get indoors, the disciples ask Jesus, why couldn't we cast him out? No, I applaud the disciples because they wanted to know. They wanted to know. I've been asking God, God, why is, it, why is it we don't see power? I want to know. I want to know. I'm not just going to accept it the way it is. I want you to come tonight. I don't want you just to come to come. I don't want you to come because your neighbor will say, he didn't go. I want you to come because you want that power in your life. I want you to come because you believe that the way things are is not the way things have to be. Kevin, lead us in some worship. I want you just to step on out and come on and say, Lord, will you fill us with that kind of power? Lord, will you fill us with that kind of authority?